0: How's everybody doing? No one would tell me if you weren't, would you? (laughs) You would, okay. Well, let's talk about that later. Okay. (laughs) have a special invitation before we we go into this morning's message. We, as a church, have kind of a special invitation right now. It's not just our church. It's churches all around the world. Um, I just found out about this last week. Mike Bickel from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City has initiated a a global fast and prayer time, three weeks, for Jerusalem and for Israel. And um, last I heard, there were between two and five million people already committed from today through the 28th of May to pray for Jerusalem and to pray for Israel, specifically um, for the promises of Isaiah 62, to be um, uh, fulfilled for Israel. And so we're going to join in on that. Um, So John and Nancy Rigstead, could you guys stand, look back and say, Hi, John. Hi, Nancy. All right. Okay. John and Nancy have sort of helped to initiate this. Um, We are actually going to open our prayer room during this time while the church doors are open. Uh, That's starting today and going through Pentecost, Sunday the 28th. Uh, During that season, John and Nancy will be hosting a prayer time for an hour every morning here in the sanctuary at 7 a.m. So all you early risers, it'll be great. And all those of you who aren't, it's going to be great. Um, So uh, I think John and Nancy's, uh, well, that's the name of the website. It's Isaiah62fast.com, Isaiah62fast.com. You'll see lots of resources there. John also will be sending out a um, one of the things that um, a daily PDF sort of how to pray. Um, as I looked at this, one of the things that excited me was that one this is global, two this is about prayer and fasting f- to God and God alone, and three that this this isn't about politics except for the kingdom of heaven. This is really praying in the fulfillment of the promises to Israel. And uh, it's interesting that today we'll talk about some of those promises as they relate to us as the church. So um, if you want to talk more, find out more, talk to John and Nancy, or just show up here tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Psalm 122 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So uh, we get to join with that. All right. Um, I've said it before up here that I think that one of the way, have you heard of the five love languages? Anybody read the book? Okay. I think I've said before, I feel like my love language with God is Providence my love language with God, he lets me know that I'm on his mind when things happen that I know I could not orchestrate if I, if I tried. It just seems impossible. And I've honestly always been a little skeptical of some of the charismatic movement that says, you know, I saw a two-leaf clover and that means I'm going to have two, you know, whatever, Mercedes or whatever, I don't know what the thing is. I'm just making it up. And at the same time, I realized I needed to come out of my cynicism because so often God speaks supernaturally through the natural. What seems natural is God's way of speaking. And I think I had one of those encounters this last Tuesday. So I woke up early in the morning. I was down in, uh, in the kitchen making coffee. And I'm telling you, I heard church bells. We don't live near a church. I love church bells. We got no church bells, and I'm literally walking around the bottom of our house, which isn't that large, thinking, I am hearing church bells. I open the door. I think, is my phone going off? I have no idea. So I'm just like, okay, church bells, you know, my only thought is, I guess, you know, this is God's way of saying, wake up, Randy, it's time to worship, you know? Um, So I get in my car uh, on my way to the the church by, wait, what are we laughing about? on my way to church by way of the gym, and when I get into my car, um, I'm very meticulous about preset radio stations. I have 11 of them, and I like the way they're ordered and everything, and I I turn my car on, and they're all erased. They're all gone, so I do what any normal person would do. I turn the car off, I turn it back on, because I want my stations, you know? And they're all gone. I'm just like God. What is this? And th- you know, the first thing that pops into my head is, I just want you to. I just want to give you a reset, you know, because every station where it should say uh, 88.7, the Diamond, it says reset, 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 wow. reset, reset, reset. So I'm like, okay, something something might be going on here. So I I pull into the gym for my four minute workout and. Um, <laughs> I pull in, and I pull in next to this enormous, bright blue Jeep Rubicon. Have you ever seen the Jeep Rubicon? It's, it's about as tall as the ceiling in this church. And, it, I mean, it's really something. I pull up, and it just pops into my head, Rubicon. Like, I know that that's a historical reference to ancient Rome, but what the heck, I didn't know what it was. So I sit there in the next to the bright blue Rubicon, and I Google, what the heck is a Rubicon, you know? Um, early first century uh, Julius Caesar crosses the stream or the river called the Rubicon in northern Italy which separated um, Rome from Gaul which would be France now and it was the crossing of the Rubicon that basically signaled the end of the the beginning of the end of the Roman Empire and so when you when you hear someone talk about crossing the Rubicon the meaning is you're about to do something from which you can never turn back for, for, for Julius Caesar, the first part of that was good. He became eternal dictator forever after that. And five years later, he's done. So uh, this is what's happening. And I'm, I got church bells, you know, and um, I've got resets. And then I've got this Rubicon. And I just sat there for a minute saying, okay, God, maybe you want to say something. And then you know how it is. You, you're thinking, and then you realize your outside world. And there's a song playing in my car. It just popped up on my phone. And it's that song by Kim Walker Smith, How He Loves, which gets me to cry every time. And when I realized, you know, that the song was playing, she was singing the line, um, I've got no time to maintain these regrets when I realize that he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. So I just had a little moment and I felt like, you know, that's just God's kindness to me. To just remind me, it's time to wake up and worship. You know, you've, uh, it's probably time for a reset in the way you think about yourself and, and the world. Um, it's, it's a signal of change. It's time to cross the river. It's time to t- take a step and never consider going back again. I mean that in a positive way, you know, to, to, to go on with the Lord. And, and then I felt like He said, you know, this is all about my love. So it was, as I was walking into the gym, I realized, oh, the, the passage I'm speaking from this coming Sunday is First Peter 2, and it's all about identity. It's all about who we are as the people of God. It's all about who the church is, who we are individually, and who we are corporately. And so I felt like the, the message for me, and just because here I am and you're all here, the message for you too, is it's time to wake up to who we are. Today's a day, it's a call, it's a it's a it's an exhortation or an invitation to wake up to who we are. So I want to read from uh, 1 Peter 2. I don't normally do this, but I'm skipping a few verses. Uh, Usually I like the whole context, but if you'd stand and I'll read from 1 Peter 2. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and this is 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, and then verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, and verse 9. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Peter says to the, the followers of Jesus, who were under persecution at this time. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Let's pray. God, we ask now in the name of Jesus that, in the way that You wrote and preserved this Scripture, this text, that You would. But I believe You have at least morning. I know, Lord, I have a lot of words to say, but I believe you have at least one word to say to every person here. So open our hear- our ears to hear your voice, to know and be who we are, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So I want to focus for about the next twenty minutes or so on the "you are" statements in this passage. There's a lot of. Great stuff about Jesus in here, and I'm not discounting Jesus. We're all about Jesus. The message for us this morning is how do we respond to what He's done for us, therefore making us who we are? And really, what does it look like for us to be who we are out in the world? This is God's declaration of eternal fact over our lives this morning, this text. And though uh, this entire text is written in the plural, In other words, this is to a people, this is to the big church, this is to all of us. But to the extent that it's to all of us and we're all in it, it's to each of us individually. So we get to take sort of this uh, corporate calling and, and follow it with individual responsibility. We hear who we are and we live out who we are. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. The truest thing about me is what God says about me. The truest thing about us as a body of believers is what God says about us. And so his words on our identity are worthy of our meditation this morning. If you're in Christ this morning, not crisis, <laughs> you might be there too. If you're in Christ this morning, then this is true of you. If Jesus lives in you, then everything I'm about to say here is truer about you, than the name on your birth certificate. This is God's identity pointed out to you about you. So I want us to listen. I want us to, and I'm going to ask you, I, wanna, I want us together to receive these words. And I'm going to ask you as long as, and I'll do the same. Set aside your, your what ifs and your buts and your doubts and your, your questioning for a moment and open your heart to what God says about you. Peter starts this passage by saying, plural, you are coming to Christ. You are coming to Christ. This all begins when you come to Christ. Now, most of this passage is passive, by which I mean God does most of the work in this passage. It's God who does the building and the choosing, the holy making, the priest anointing, the soul possessing. It's God that does the calling from darkness. And it's God who affects our transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. There are just three places in the scripture that kind of tell us what our job is. Um, It says, number one, we come to Christ. That's our willing choice. God will not demand that we come to Christ first or on a daily basis. He woos us. He leads us. I don't think he demands I think we come to Christ willingly. Two, we offer spiritual sacrifices. In other words, like we just did and like the kids just did, we uh, freely give our love to God in praise and worship. Now, we can do that freely or not. But I think one of of the parts of of living out our identity. Verse 9, we in the church is we freely give our love to God. And then finally, he says in verse 9, we show God's goodness to the world. In other words we let people see who we are. Now, I don't mean that to sound creepy, you know. But we let people see who we are. If people don't see, not only where we have been broken, but then where we have been healed, they won't be able to see God's goodness in us. I mean, that just kinda comes naturally from the text. Personally, I don't like it. I'd rather just say, a long time ago, once I had this one thing, God fixed it, and isn't he good? The reality is, we show God's goodness to the world every day as we walk out of brokenness and into wholeness, more and more mature day by day, as honest, real people in the world. So a couple questions just from that very first point. Are you coming to Jesus again today? Are you willing to freely give him your, your worship and your love? Like some of the kids did up here, just, you know, not caring what everyone thought. Actually, some of the adults did that too, I noticed. Will you allow others to see God's goodness in your life? In other words, will you be vulnerable in the world? Will you walk out into the world and be real? So there's God's part. That's what God has done now. Let's move on into verse 5, 1 Peter 2, 5. And now we answer the question, so who are you? Peter says, verse 5, you are living stones... Being built into a holy temple, meaning that you, in Christ, have been chosen by Jesus, have been selected, have been handpicked, you've been formed, you're being shaped, you're being cared for, Jesus, right now. What that says to me about you and about me and about us is that we're important. We're important in the kingdom. We're being built, we're living stones being built into a spiritual temple, a place where God lives, which means there is not a one of us in Christ who can say, I'm not important in the kingdom. You're a living stone selected by Jesus, being built into a temple. If you don't own your ownership by him, there's a hole in the temple. Don't take condemnation from that. Just realize when God picks you, he does it with purpose. And sometimes we want to downgrade ourselves and like, well, I'm a half-living stone or I'm kind of a living clotted dirt. Or No, you're a living stone. In the verse before, it says we're coming to Christ, the living stone. And then he says, and you are living stones. It's hard to get closer to the living stone than to be like him. And that's what we are because he has chosen us, which means that God wants every one of us, And we need every one of us. We need every gift and calling, every identity and personality, every quirky, wacky, interesting, different group of people in this church. Was it the... um No, forget that. (laughs) I was going to go down a track that would have never come back. Ask me later. You're not just a rock, you're a living stone. And that means that as a living stone, you can be changed. And I think this is, the, this is spiritual formation. This is Jesus doing his work. The only he can do, make us like him. Because he takes us, not a dead stone, a living stone. And then what does he do? He lovingly, and then he chisels, and then he hacks. And then he breaks. And then he chisels a little bit, right? And then he blows on us to get all the dirt away. And then who knows what else he does to build us into his people, into his temple. It's all the work of God. It's hard when, that, when, when you're getting chiseled. It's, gar- it's hard when you're getting poked at or, or formed or, or slammed into a place that feels real uncomfortable. But it's all the work of God. The question is, can you own who you are today? You're a living stone selected by God, and will we trust him? I mean, this is for all of us. Will we trust him to shape us? Can we believe that what's happening in our lives right now, though the devil may like it if we're being hurt, and the devil may use it to try to hurt us, is being allowed by the one who's forming us and shaping us as living stones into a holy temple? That takes a lot of faith, and God's worthy of it. Verses 5 and 9, Peter says, You are his holy and royal priests. I said priest, not Prius, okay, priest, though I do love efficiency and quietness. No, we're priests. Um, anybody watch the coronation? Nobody. <laughs> okay, three of us. Well, we'll have tea and crumpets together afterwards, all right? I didn't watch it either. Um, I just wanted to see the church. It's a pretty sweet place. Um The Archbishop of Canterbury in the Anglican Communion, they call him the ABC, Archbishop of Canterbury. He had a pretty nice outfit on, right? And the king gets a nice hat, that's for sure. I mean, we see all that sort of royal, regal stuff, and we don't know what to do with it. It it seems over the top. You know, in the Old Testament, the uh, royalty and priesthood were um, meticulously kept apart. So you don't see Jesus become royal priests in a person in the Old Testament. And so Jesus becomes the prototype. He was prophet, priest, and king. But here in Jesus, God says to us by the Holy Spirit through Peter's pen, you are royal priests. You're not just a priest who has access to God. You're also royalty who has access to God's government. We are royal priests. We're not one or the other. We have authority in this world because we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. We're, we're royalty. Um, we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. When we walk in here, Romans, Paul says, you know, um, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him, which is our spiritual service of worship. He's not talking about human sacrifices He's talking about these bodies that house these souls and these spirits coming before God and giving him adequate and worthy worship because we're a part of his family, because we know him, because we're loved by him, and we're known by him. We're royal priests. Hebrews 13, the writer says, Through him, that's Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So as priests, we uh, worship and we offer sacrifices. And as priests, we also mediate God's love and power in the world. That means we have what we've been given by God to give away to the world. If you've been loved by God, you have love to give away. If you've been empowered by God, you have power to give away. We can talk to God on behalf of people, and we can talk to people on behalf of God. It's the job of a priest. And we're being built into a spiritual temple, which means to me that individually and, corpora- and collectively in our bodies, think about this, and in our souls as we gather, we represent the place where people can meet God. We're the new temple, right? So that means that, Sarah, when you walk out into the world, you are the place where people can meet God. You offer your sacrifice of praise to him. You mediate his love and his power. Isn't that a wild thought that we walk around as a temple and people could look into our lives and meet Jesus? What a privilege. Like What a responsibility. What an honor that we are the place where the king dwells and that right here people have access to that kind of grandeur You know that the four of us saw, <laughs> three and a half of us saw that someone could walk in and see what God's, what's happening in our very own hearts because we're the temple of the living, of, living God. So a, a challenge for us, can we receive and believe who we are today, that we are royalty, that we are priests? Verse 9, Peter says, you are a chosen people, a chosen people. In, uh, in the Greek in which the New Testament was written, that word chosen comes from two Greek words, and ek means out or from. And so uh, to be chosen is to be spoken out, to be called out, to be singled out. Some some translators look at this and they say, he literally spoke us into being. We've been chosen. Um, I, I hate to trigger anyone, but it's just, uh, think about junior high gym class. They, they Okay, there's sozos available afterwards. It's gonna be okay. You know, you line up. They they pick two captains, and then the dreaded thing. You know, they start choosing, right? And I mean, it's hor- It's horrible. It's horrible. You're just wondering. You know, that whole time. It's not like that in heaven. It was not like that with you. There there was not a one of you that God looked over and said, eh, "No, um, <laughs> no." Each one. I mean, I, I believe this. He, God lives outside of time. He's eternal. And his love is perfectly pure. His, his, his choice to choose us is eternal. So every single one of us, he said, I want you first. Shodman, I want you first. Eddie, I want you first. You're the chosen one. I mean, every single one of us is that chosen one in the, in the eyes and in the heart of God. He speaks us into being. We're, we're elected. We're not looked over. We're seen. We're known. We're loved. We're chosen. I mean, I know what I feel like. I know what I felt like this morning when my granddaughter saw me from 20, years, 20 yards away and said, Granddaddy, and runs to me and lavishes her love on me. You know what I think? I was chosen. She passed everyone else up. and She came to me. And I think that is the heart of Jesus for each of us. He literally chooses each one of us. He's spoken us into existence. He's called us into reality. He's made us to be a word from heaven to earth. He, the, the name he calls us, you know, the way he's chosen us, he speaks us into the world as that word. Again, the privilege and the honor that we have of bearing his name. And you can't get yourself unchosen. Now, there are theological fights about this. I'm not going into them. I'm just telling you what I believe. You can't get yourself unchosen. If Jesus chooses you, you don't get to say no. You don't get to say, it's been nice to be on your team for a while. I'm going to play for somebody else now. You can't unchoose yourself. You can reject your chosenness. And we do it all the time. We, we all the time think, no, he couldn't have meant it. No, he probably is disappointed. No. We can do that. You can reject your chosenness, but you can't change it because the one who chose you is greater than you. He's the one that made you, informed you, he's molding you, and we can resist. That's one of my grandchildren, too. She's resisting. (laughs) We can resist, but if we're wise, we will relent. That's tough on a grandfather. <laughs> it was God's eternal decision to choose us. And he's thrilled to have made it. And if you don't believe me, spend your week of quiet times in Ephesians chapter one. Just read it, Ephesians chapter one. Just read it over and over. Read it in every translation you can find. And just see how God decided to set his love upon you, accept you in the beloved Christ and all that he's given as a result of his choice of you. I mentioned the junior high gym class and some of you are still triggered and twitching a little bit. So let's, let's ask God to redeem that. Um, this last couple of weeks, I've been rereading Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. If you've never read Abba's Child by Brennan Manning, go get it right away, download it on Hoopla, whatever you can, it's an awesome book. Um, and in uh, chapter three about being the beloved, Brandon Manning talks about a man named John Egan. Never heard of the guy. And he just says some ordinary guy um, who just happened to keep a journal through his life and decided he's going to go after Jesus. And uh, Brandon Manning talks about uh, John Egan being at a a retreat one day, and he's talking to a spiritual director. He's on a silent retreat, and he's just taking in what does God think about him and what's God saying to him, and this is what happens. The spiritual director says to him, John, the heart of it is this, to make the Lord and his immense love for you constitutive of your personal worth. Define yourself radically as one beloved of God. Define yourself radically as one beloved of God. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. We have been chosen by God on purpose and for purpose. And a question this morning is, can we believe that? Can we accept our chosenness? Verse 9. Peter, I mean, he's just, he's relentless. He just keeps going. He says, you are a holy nation. You are a holy nation. Those are God's words. Those aren't my words. As people were called, named, and determined holy by God himself through Jesus. This is true collectively. We're a holy people here. But it's also true individually. And so we have this corporate calling to holiness. And like I said before, we have this individual responsibility to agree with that calling in our thoughts and in our favor and in our deeds. Our holiness is not to earn God's grace and favor. Our holiness comes from the fact that we have been given God's grace and favor. And out of grace, motivated by grace, we live holy lives. We're holy because, as the theologians say it, our righteousness is imputed to us. Just a fancy word for saying it comes from outside of us. We did nothing to get the righteousness of Jesus. He called us. We said, yes, that righteousness is imputed. It's, it's placed upon us and in us, and it can't be changed. So when God sees us, he sees Jesus, and he sees perfection and purity. The good news is you did not make yourself holy. You have been made holy. You have been sanctified. You've been set apart for a purpose that's not your own. And again, we can agree with that purpose and we can live it out, that holiness, or we can pretend it's not true. We can even live against it at times. But again, our choice does not affect God's view of us because you are holy. Are we willing to accept our holiness today? Are we, are, are we willing to take on the royal robe of holiness and say, okay, I'll, I'll receive that. God, that's how you look at me I'll live that way in the world, and even when I don't, I will keep coming back to your holiness. Finally, end of verse 9, Peter says, you are God's own possession. He he owns us. When uh, our kids were small, I can remember the phrase that was going around our house a lot when they were at certain ages, you are not the boss of me. They love to say that, you know, and I love to say, we are the boss of you. The reality is God is the boss of us, and that's really good news. God, God, it does reign supreme in every area of our life. He does have authority to tell us what to do and what not to. And that's really good because we are possessed by God. You know, that it's a bad word, right? Possession, I mean, it seems like it's trendy out there to have all these evil films about possession and the demonic. We are holy and wholly possessed by God and God alone. Isn't that amazing that he's taken us, he's formed us, he's made us holy, he's chosen us, he's building us into a temple. He's forming us. And he says, you can't get out of my grip because you belong to me. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You can see I'm on a Brennan Manning kick, but Brennan Manning says, and then I think the Helsers made it into a, a song, just the simple breath prayer, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, Father, Daddy, I belong to you. And a worthwhile prayer to pray for the rest of your lives. So can we joyfully un- live under our new ownership in God you know, all of the things that I just talked about for the last 20 minutes or so, all of these titles were also applied to Israel. So you see these in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament where God is pointing these things out about Israel. And now in Jesus, we receive this identity as the church. We receive these callings. I'll just quote a smart guy from the last century. The description of the church in this passage is systematic and exhaustive. We're a new race who share identity as living stones. We're a priesthood, and so we have right access to God. We're a nation, and so we're under his government. We are God's possession, and so we are actually indwelt by Jesus, the King himself. That's who we are. And we'll just close with why. (laughs) Why all that? What's the purpose in all of this? And I want to be careful here because... As a result of this identity, this calling and this equipping, we are to show others the goodness of God. That's how it ends. We are to show God's goodness to the world. I think it could be easy to hear all those things I said and to look into those identity statements and then to come to the conclusion that God chose us just to use us. And I think God's purpose is to use us, but I think we have to be careful not to say that the primary purpose of God's choosing was in order to use us, like like a glove on a hand or like a, a tool or something like that. He set his affection on us because he loves us. He chose you because he loves you. And because he loves you, he invites you to cooperate with his plan. But we don't become who we are by doing things for God. We don't become who we are by doing things for God. We do what we do because of who we are. We're not what we do. We do what we are. And if we get that mixed up, it's so easy to come to Jesus and revel in grace and glory and who I am and then think, i got to get to work for God because i got to keep up the good. And, you know, as if our only purpose in the plan of God is to do things for him. The first purpose in the plan of God is to manifest love on us. And from that reality, who we really are, will go out and manifest his goodness to the world. E. e. Cummings, the, the poet who likes small letters, if you know that guy, says it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. And it does. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage even this morning to listen to one of those words from God about you and then decide, I'm going to grow up and be who I really am. So the question as we close is, is there one of those identity pieces that you need to receive this morning? A living stone being formed by Jesus, a royal priest, both uh, holy in the sanctuary and with authority in the world, a chosen people on purpose, selected, spoken into the world like a word, a holy nation, regardless of what you feel and think about yourself and your actions at times. God's own possession. You know, in almost everything in this passage that is spoken about us was also true of Jesus. He was called the living stone and we're living stones. He was chosen by God and we're chosen. He was a priest and we are priests. He's holy in and of himself. We are holy in him. He's God in perfect relationship with the Father, and we belong to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He revealed the nature of the Father in uh, truth and grace. We reveal the goodness of God in broken people. He was rejected, and we will be rejected. He was believed, and we will be believed. He knew darkness. He knew no darkness, though he lived in the midst of it and we've been delivered from darkness. He's the light, and then Jesus says, you're the light. He embodied mercy, and we deliver the mercy that's been delivered to us. God exalted Jesus, and the scripture says he would exalt us, too, at the proper time. Jesus never turned back, and my prayer is that we would never turn back from being who we really are. Let's stand. And if I can ask the ministry team to come forward, I'll Pray for us. God, I um, ask that even now, as we consider um, our experience here this morning, God, I, I think even as you were ringing my bell on Tuesday and calling me to wake up, to come to worship, to know who I really am, to make that decision to be who I really am, to know that there's no time for regrets when the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you just come and speak, I pray. Um, So if the ministry team can come forward and I'll ask Nick to come. I think he's got a a word for us and then we'll pray. Thanks, Randy, for that incredible message on identity. During worship, I uh, just felt like the Lord was telling me that he is releasing healing for any sort of pain or issues in the mouth. So this can include um, just really anything in the uh, mandible region or even a speech impediment or speech issues or possibly any dental pain. Um, So if that applies to you, um, come forward. I'd love to pray for you. I pray for you, I believe that what the Lord reveals, He heals, and uh, I know that we can uh, we can pray for you and have that get better. So yeah, come forward. If you'd like prayer for that or for anything else, please come forward. Um, we'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, go in peace to love and serve the Lord and be who you are. Amen.